Well, welcome to the latest edition of the Oklahoma Drill. And we're going to kind of stay with what we've been doing. Uh, we're going to do another basketball one. This one's going to be more focused on the NBA draft because Sam and I are we're pretty big fans of the NBA draft. You know, We've been talking about of, it for a while. Yeah, and I'm just kind of itching to have a conversation about it. You know, like I just... I do enough reading and listening to other pods, and then I just kind of, I develop these ideas, and I want to bounce them off somebody. So it we're was, gonna. It was really the only thing that we both, after Trey Young left OU, we swore off college basketball because, objectively, like as basketball, a lot of it sucks and right. it's brutal to watch. Um, but, I mean, it does have its entertainment value, as you can see from the national championship. And the, the just thinking of it, the college basketball season in terms of the NBA draft, really, like, you and I paid more attention this year than we thought we would, and we just right. didn't have to care about how OU did. Yeah, no, I think that's – I mean, I, I wound up watching quite a bit of college basketball, but it was mostly just to watch – basically a lot of the guys that we're going to talk about here. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to do kind of a fake mock draft, um, just like the top eight picks. And we're going to just talk about each prospect as we pick them. Um, and not joining us. I know that you guys are used to hearing his wonderful voice, but he was not able to join us tonight. Moving back to Oklahoma. Ryan, so we're happy for that. Shouts to Ryan. Um, do you want to go ahead and get us started? Yeah, I'll go ahead and get us started. Right now, I got the TV playing in the background, and it's the the Stadium Sports, which is like I I, I don't know if Yahoo owns Stadium. What it is, I know Jeff Goodman's one of the bigger names that works for him. So right now, they're talking about the NBA because. This guy, obviously, number one, New Orleans Pelicans for the mock draft. I'm taking Zion, Zion Williamson from Duke. And they're talking about him right now. Zion apparently has not signed with an agent. There are conspiracy theorists that were starting rumors that Zion had to be rushed out of the draft lottery room because he was pissed that New Orleans got the first pick. Other videos that have come out see him smiling a lot when it happened. I don't know why. I think it's just the nature of the NBA. People crave the content, and so they are trying to stir something up. It's, I, I think it's a non-story. Zion's not going back to college. He's going to be the number one pick to the Pelicans. I mean, there are just too many things, too many great things to say about Zion. Um, I mean, everything... You, everyone had heard about Zion before the season. He was, you know, this huge six-seven dude that could jump out of the gym. That was playing against like white private school kids in South Carolina that were like playing a six-two kid at center. I mean, Zion's high school highlights are just absolutely unreal. And you're thinking, oh, this guy's just a, you know, he's the best athlete we've seen in a long time, but how is that going to translate? And turns out it translated pretty well. He's just like, his basketball IQ is off the charts. I mean, he's, I, I know for a long time during the season, his efficiency was just 
absolutely un, like unheard of efficiency. Um, just there's really nothing Zion can't do. Not necessarily the best shooter, but he shot 34% on very few from three on not a lot of attempts. So, I mean, there's really nothing Zion can't do. Is there anything specific you want to say about Zion? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think one of the things you have to take into account when you look at what he did in college, like he had arguably, I mean, one of the best seasons in college basketball history by any individual player. And I don't think there's any way you can look at what he had at Duke and think of that as an ideal situation for him because they were the worst shooting team in college basketball. Um, So he was doing all of this. He was one of the most efficient players of all time while having no space to really operate. You know, like he was a guy that did most of his damage in a clogged up paint. You know, like he was just driving and powering through guys or just jumping over guys and finishing at a ridiculous rate. And it's really not anything we've ever seen before because, I mean, we've seen great athletes, but I think this guy's probably on a different level, even from a guy. I mean, this sounds insane, but I think he's even a different level athlete than a guy like LeBron, you know, because LeBron's amazing. But Zion is instantly going to be like the second heaviest player in the NBA once he steps in on the court. And he is probably a better run and jump athlete than LeBron James was entering the league. Yeah, that's the thing is that, you know, we know Duke was a horrible shooting team. Spacing was terrible. And Zion wasn't just like it wasn't just powering through and backing people down, jumping over. Like, he has an incredible spin move. He got called for a charge a few times on it that I can recall. But, I mean, of course you're going to. They see a guy fall with a 285-pound Mack truck coming at him, and they're going to call a charge more times than not in college. So you can't fault him for that. But, I mean, just the instincts to know when to spin move. He has a good Euro step. I mean, he has... Just the incredible tough shots when he doesn't completely back somebody down like you can tell he thought he was going to, he still somehow like gets it up off the glass and you know scores. I mean, his effective field goal percentage last year was 71%, which is just absolutely unreal from a small forward. That's like DeAndre Jordan just catching lobs. That's that kind of effective field goal percentage. And this guy was like doing that while making plays. There are just not enough things we can say about Zion. Right. Well, and I think that, you know, pretty much everything we've talked about so far is offensive, like his ability offensively, which, I mean, like you said, he's an unbelievable passer. He's got great instincts. Like that guy also has functional, like ball handling skills already, you know, as a a guy this athletic with his size, they would put him in pick and roll sometimes, not even as the roll man, but as the ball, like the ball handler, you know, like that's pretty insane for a guy that was playing even some at center. Like it was kind of a center running pick and rolls, you know? And so that's pretty absurd, but all of that's just his offensive value. And I think his higher upside is probably on the defensive end of the court because, you know, you talked about his instincts and I, I haven't seen very many basketball players with better defensive instincts than Zion. And a lot of it isn't 
100% instincts. Like, he'll screw up a lot, but he is so athletic and able to recover that he's kind of able to get away with a lot of things, you know? But there were just several times a game where he would just leave his man and go for a steal, and usually that's, like, the worst idea for your defense, and you're going to ruin the defensive integrity of of your scheme, but he just seemingly would always come up with the play when they needed it. Yeah, and I think when you get him I'm in a team setting, he's just even more deadly. He can – I mean, you, you always – you see those guys in high school or even college, Mac McClung at Georgetown specifically, that – are crazy athletic that take all sorts of horrible gambles on defense, you know, so they can get highlight breakaway dunks with, you know, uncontested. And Zion, yeah, yeah, one guy that we've watched very closely. Um, So you see that a lot, but Zion, and he he certainly makes those plays, but most of the time when he gambles for that, it pays off because he's that incredible of an athlete. And if it ever doesn't pay off, he's... I don't know if it's instinctual that he realizes midway it's not going to work or it's just that's the level of athlete he is or both. But, I mean, he's usually there recovered and at least making an impact on the play. And I think once he gets in a team setting, you know, where it's not R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish around him, I think the fitting into a team defensive scheme, he'll just be unreal. Yeah, I think, I mean, just watching the guy play, there were probably 10 to 15 times every game that I watched him that I was just, oh my God. You know, there were just jaw-dropping plays routinely, just stuff that you've never seen done on a basketball court that this guy was able to do with his combination of instincts and athletic ability. And, like, one of the main plays that really sticks out to me was – in the NCAA tournament against Virginia Tech, when this, I can't remember the guard, but the guy completely crossed Zion. Like, he actually was able to put a really good move on him and get by him pretty easily. And it seemed like Zion was out of the play, and then all of a sudden, Zion just swatted him from behind. You know, like, that's pretty unbelievable to see from, especially from a guy he's not ridiculously long like it's not like he's got like a 7-4 wingspan like he's just so athletic he's got such a ridiculous vertical there was another play against DeAndre Hunter who I'm sure we'll talk about later like where he was like in the paint when DeAndre Hunter caught the ball in the corner for a three and then he wound up blocking his three-point attempt yeah I mean he's he's just unreal he does everything we could have a full hour just about Zion Every other podcast has done that, though, so we don't need to do that. We got to get out of here at some point so we can watch game two of the Western Conference Finals. The only thing that scares me, I am scared for Zion because, man, jumping that high at that weight, like he's so explosive with an 82-game season, like they're going to have to – I don't think you even wait for a Embiid-type injury or something before you start load-managing Zion. I mean, I think – just the way he plays the long season, I think you immediately start out giving him off back-to-backs. I mean, you want to see him as much as possible, but, man, I just I want everything to happen to make sure Zion holds up and has at least 10 years in the league. Yeah, I think that that – I mean, honestly, that's just something that needs to happen across the league for a lot of players. For sure. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. Zion 
more than most needs that kind of that you just need to take care of him. Like he's yeah. probably maybe the second best asset in the league behind Giannis right now. You know, once he's gonna once he gets into the league, like you're gonna have to take care of that. And you know, I think making sure that he's not playing 40 minutes a game, 82 games is probably the number one way that you've got to do that. Um, just real quick, I don't want to go super into this, but can we talk about the Pelicans for a second? Um, because the initial reaction when they won the lottery was, first of all, it is objectively hilarious that they did. Um, because everybody leading into it was like, man, if the Knicks win this lottery, they could trade Zion for Anthony Davis. Or if the Lakers win it, they'll trade it, you know? And it's, everybody was talking about Zion being the piece to trade for Anthony Davis. And now they have Zion. They have the building block that they wanted, um, to start with. And now they can trade Anthony Davis for something to build around Zion. And so I just real quick want to go through. Um, obviously the Celtics have been a team rumored to trade for Zion for a long time. Um, I think their package has, uh, kind of diminished in value the longer it's gone. Um, obviously we know about the Lakers and the Knicks also are, you know, they've been rumored a lot to, to be interested. So I want to like kind of throw these packages at you and see which one you like the most. Um, and I have one more that it probably it's probably the least realistic of all the trades, but like it kind of makes sense to me. And this team would be really ridiculous with him. So, um, but let's start with the Celtics. So you're you're gonna have to give up Jason Tatum. Um, I think to be really competitive, like I don't know why the Celtics would do this, but I think you're gonna have to give up Tatum and Brown. Yeah, because they don't they don't really have the pick value that they had a year ago. You know what I mean? So like Tatum and Brown and I don't know, like a Marcus Smart type or and their 14 pick like that seems OK. Like mm. I like I know Tatum is, you know, kind of on the lower end of his value right now, but I still kind of like him. Um, the I, Lakers the, go ahead. real quick, the. The Ringer, I think they were talking about on one of their 20 weekly podcasts the other day, and they were talking about a Celtics-Pelicans trade, and they were hypothesizing Tatum, Brown, and Horford to get Davis. And one that seems like a lot to give up. I mean, Horford is up there in age, but still clearly very valuable. And two, like... What does Boston have left at that point? I mean, obviously you have Kyrie and AD, but... Maybe Kyrie. Yeah, and that's the thing. is Boston's not making this trade unless they have a guarantee from Kyrie. And so I don't know how the the timelines of it fall out. I feel like they'd have to make the trade for AD before free agency starts. So I, I don't think Boston ends up getting AD. Um <laughs> But that's, yeah. that's not the topic of this discussion, obviously. Right. I and just if don't I'm see it Boston, if I'm Boston, I don't even really, because you, you've got to think your chances of keeping Kyrie are lower than fifty percent. You know. Right. And if you're not, if you're not ninety percent sure you're keeping him, you can't trade for Anthony Davis. You yeah. Know? Like, or you can't give up anything good for him. You can't give up Tatum or Brown if you think you're going to lose him in a year. You know. 
Um, mm-hmm. So that's tough. Um, let's go. Let's look at the Knicks. As and far as that potential package goes, that is, you know, if that's I'm a good package. Orleans, that's I'm taking that in a second. Yeah, it's a good package. If they're able to give that up, then yeah, New Orleans is going to be super thrilled by that. You get another Dookie to put with with Zion. Um, so let's look at the Knicks. Obviously, any package that they have, they're going to have to throw their their number three pick in. And so that would give the Pelicans probably a chance to get RJ to, to pair with Zion, which obviously they were teammates in college. Um, I think you're also, if you're the Knicks, you're going to have to include Dennis Smith, Kevin Knox, and Mitchell Robinson. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the probably, yeah. they're going to have to throw anything, anything the, the Pelicans would want. The Knicks are going to have to throw that out there. None of the Pelicans or the Knicks assets are other than the number three pick, I think are particularly valuable. Like Knox just was literally one of the worst players in the NBA this year. You know, I, I still think he's a decent prospect, you know, so maybe the Pelicans are high on him, but I'm not totally sold on him. And I look at where he's projected to play. He's projected to be a four, which is where Zion's gonna play you know mm-hmm. so i think that's kind of tough um i mean knox was you know preseason rookie of the year though so yeah yeah that was yeah but like my god his numbers this year oh yeah not <laughs> great yeah grant like in a horrible situation he's a younger player like he's i still think he has upside and i you know i don't dislike him as a prospect but man it'd be tough to sell if he's like one of the primary gets that you're getting for Anthony Davis. For sure. Um, all right, let's go to the Lakers because, you know, this is honestly the Pelicans should have made this trade in the regular season. I feel strongly about that because the Lakers were offering like two or three first round picks and all of their young players. Like that's a trade you should make because if I'm the Lakers at this point, obviously you're throwing them in the number four pick. Um, Alonzo Ball's got to be on the table, uh, which I actually think would be a pretty nice fit with Zion. Um, and then Ingram as well. The problem with that is obviously the Ingram blood clot situation. Um, I will say it's not – I think people are kind of blowing it up. Like, I think the main thing with uh, blood clots is just the fact that Chris Bosh exists. You know, right. it's like – and those were – I mean, I get it, but I think – I don't know. This, this, the blood clots are in a completely different spot on Ingram, and they feel pretty comfortable with where he is right now. Um, just you know, hearing stuff. I mean, obviously, it's hard to trust what's coming at, from the Lakers at this point, but right. they seem pretty optimistic about how he's going to be. So, I, I don't know. And I look at Ingram, and that guy was playing at the best level of his career before he got hurt. Like he was basically the only Laker that handled the trade talks well you know like he mm-hmm. wound up raising his game whenever that was all all that stuff was going on um so i don't know out of those three which which package do you like the most so out of and, those three you got kind of factor the first thing i look at is the the like key piece to each deal right so you got yeah. rj you got tatum or you got ingram well, I mean, Ingram, or you look at the number four pick, and that's well, like right, a that's the thing. Type. Yeah, yeah, so I I think out of that, 
I mean, me personally, the Lakers deal would still be the best because, like you said, I'm. I think the Ingram thing is scary. The health, you know, blood clots and whatnot. But I think it's not as big of an issue from what everyone else has made it sound like. Since it happens, it's not definitely not as severe as Chris Bosh, and you know, he should be back to go next season. You, you and I were talking about this yesterday. He was incredible looking like he was going to take that step you know before he went down this year and not an ideal situation there and then on top of that you add in the four pick where you can get another role player you get culver you get garland or you get hunter you know whoever it is you know some people consider this a three-player draft but it's one thing about it that i think is undebatable is there are it is deep with great role players, and if you're confident in your scouting that you think you're going to get the best one at number four, then I think that's the best to me. Yeah. Well, and I just I look at the potential of that group defensively, like that could be the best defensive team in the league because Lonzo potentially an elite point guard defender. Brandon Ingram, potentially a really impactful guy with his length. Zion could be the best defender in the league. You know, you, they still have Drew Holiday, who is a great defender. Jarrett Culver projects as a really good defender. So I think that your your team is probably better with that trade than any of these other trades. Um, you know, I know you're kind of down on Jason Tatum. And also, I just... That trade from the Celtics, I don't think is particularly realistic, right? Because I just don't know how they can make the trade. You know, yeah. like they're probably losing Kyrie. You can't trade both of those guys to get. Him. I don't think you can trade Tatum at all if you're going to lose Kyrie. Um, so yeah, I think that that's tough. So the one more trade I want to throw out there, um, it's the Denver Nuggets. Okay, and. This one is built almost solely around how you feel about Michael Porter Jr. Um, like health-wise and like you would have to have a lot of intel about how he's progressed health-wise. Um, but I think from a prospect standpoint, Michael Porter Jr. might be better than any of the guys we put in any of these trades if he's fully healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think Denver's got some other guys, you know, a Monte Morris type would fit really well. Um, I think Malik Beasley would play really well with Zion. He's a really good shooter. Um, I'm not throwing, if I'm Denver, I'm not throwing in Gary Harris. I'm not throwing in Jamal Murray because the chances of actually keeping AD, I think are relatively low. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think if you can trade Michael Porter Jr., a guy that you've never even had play for your team and get a year of Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic, like that might be something you might win a championship with that, you know? Yeah, that would be that would be unreal. I don't think it happens without Harris, though. And I think I agree. I don't want to give up Harris if I'm the Nuggets to get one year of AD and then lose him. So I that one would be interesting. We'll see if it's if it ever if there are ever any rumors that come from that or if that one's realistic in anyone's eyes but i mean it would certainly be interesting to see ad and Jokic together that would be awesome yeah it's just like that's one of the teams that you just never see really thrown around as you know a trade partner for them and 
that's usually the kind of team that winds up trading. Like, nobody thought Kawhi was going to get traded to the Raptors. Right. And no one thought Paul George was going to get traded to the Thunder. No. Yeah, so it's usually the team that you don't think of that winds up actually making the trade. Um, And, I, you know, nobody's thinking about Denver in that light. But I think Denver is going to really try to make something happen this summer because they have the Millsap contract. They can have some decent cap room if they – wind up not re-signing Paul Millsap. So that yeah. might be something that they, they look into. Um, but yeah, what what would you think of, like, comparing that to what, what you would get from the Lakers? Like, would you rather have that Denver package? or the, I think I would still rather have the Lakers package, but yeah, I guess it's I all about how you see Michael Porter Jr. Right, and we'll talk about the unknown of not seeing anybody for a year when we talk about Darius Garland later, but you just don't know with Michael Porter Jr. We haven't seen him, and we saw him as much as Darius Garland, even less than we saw Darius Garland at Vanderbilt, and then we didn't see him for a whole year in the NBA. So, I mean, you just you don't know, and I think you take the – if those are all your options on the table, I think the, the Lakers definitely have the best offer still. Yeah. All right, so let's, let's go ahead and move on to the second pick. That's with the Memphis Grizzlies and – I'm taking John Morant because I really like him. And when, think, whenever we uh, started the, before we were talking about this, I thought you were gonna take RJ. I thought you might pull a fast one on me. Nope. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that later. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I mean, John Morant. You know, every every now and then in college basketball. You know, it doesn't happen. I mean, it, there's probably like one or two guys a year maybe that are like this. But when I watch them, I just – and they have the ball in their hands. I just expect something great to happen. You know, I remember watching like D'Angelo Russell at Ohio State. And you're just like, all right, he's about to do something, you know. Trey Young was absolutely like this as well, you know. You just watch him and you're like, oh, he's about to like make a play for – make a pass that you just don't even think about. You know, and that's the feeling I get with John Morant. Um, I think that like he was probably I mean, he was the best playmaker in college basketball this year. He led the country in assists and he averaged what did he how many points did he average? It was over 20, 20, sure. 27, I want to say maybe less than yeah. that. Yeah, he put up just ridiculous numbers and like he was very Trey Young in the sense that he did everything for his team. Um, and his team was actually pretty solid. He put his team was pretty good. His team was better than OU was when Trey Young was running the show. Um, yeah, he averaged twenty four yeah. and ten. Twenty four point five, almost doubled his output from his freshman year. So I mean, insane growth. You like to see that from someone. He went from a thirty percent free th- or three point shooter on three attempts per game to thirty six percent on five attempts per game. So, I mean, that's awesome. Great free throw shooter. Um, you you definitely, if you're going to take the small school guy like that, you know, it worries you playing in the, where are they, in the OVC or the MVC? Yeah, the I, OVC. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it definitely worries you playing against that level of competition. So, you definitely want to see some market improvement and you definitely got that out of jaw this year. So that's awesome. Yeah. And and he's going to be, he's going to be a limited prospect defensively. Like he's a smaller guy, like just from a, you know, bulk standpoint, he's 175 pounds right now, six, three. 
Um, so you're, I mean, he's not going to be coming to the league and be an elite defender, but he is a pretty solid athlete. Like he can really, like he had some pretty ridiculous highlight dunks this year. Um, so there's at least some potential for growth in that regard. Like, I don't think he's going to be as limited as like Trey young is defensively. Right. Um, I mean, he's, he's like the exact same size as De'Aaron Fox, who we already regard as a pretty, pretty decent on ball defender and it's just like fox is an absolute dog and i mean if jaw if you can if he can put the level of effort into it i think you can definitely it's a lot easier to fit him into a scheme than like you brought up trey or something like that yeah no i think that's absolutely right like He's, I think at least, at the very least, he's going to be able to be a decent point of attack guy that's going to, you know, cause you some issues. Like, a lot like what De'Aaron Fox is. Like, he's probably not going to be a guy that you want to switch on to a lot of threes or anything. But, yeah, you, you'll feel comfortable with him that he's not going to get totally abused against a lot of point guards. Like, maybe Trey is, um, so far at least. Um, I will say, shooting-wise he's not the kind of shooter Trey is, you know, like you mentioned his percentage and that's a really solid percentage when you consider the type of threes he was taking, uh, because they were all just off the dribble. Like he wasn't getting catch and shoot looks, you know, he didn't have guys creating for him. So he was doing it all by himself. Um, a lot like Trey was, but the difference being like, he's not foot pulling up confidently from half court. Like Trey was, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I'm not saying his shooting is an issue. Like I think he's, you know, he's got to improve there a little bit, but like most point guards do coming into the league. Um, but he's just not like a generational shooter like Trey potentially is, you know? Yeah. If you threw Trey into this draft, knowing what we know after his rookie year, do you take him number two overall? Uh, no doubt. No doubt yeah. in my mind. That's, I yeah. think he's, he's jaw isn't quite the pat. Jaws is obviously a great passer. Assist numbers can be misleading, but, you know, 10 assists, like averaging double-digit assists while scoring 24 points a game, like, that's awesome. But he, I don't think he's quite the level passer that Trey is. The shooting, definitely not. Um, both are limited defensively, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I would take Trey over Josh. Yeah. yeah, Trey's probably, like, a top-three passer in the league right now. Yeah. You know, as a rookie. And eventually he's probably going to be the best passer in the league, you know, unless like Luca is, you know, it's going to be him or Luca probably. Yeah. Um, Which, yeah, those two are ridiculous, but Mm. yeah, I'm still taking Trey just because like the shooting off the dribble is just, you know, I think he has the potential to be really elite. Like he wasn't amazing this year at that, but I think he's got the potential to do it. And, you know, he's just, one of the best passers I've ever seen, you know, yeah. just the passes he's able to make with both hands. And that's something Jaws pretty good at too. Like he's able to fire some passes in with his left hand that you just don't really expect. Um, and that's a really valuable skill to have. Yeah. Like if we want to just talk straight numbers, Trey absolutely should have averaged at least 10 assists per game in college. So, I mean, if we, the, like I said, the numbers could be misleading. Trey makes some incredible passes, though. Yeah. Not to not to discredit Jaw, I still think again he. I would I would also take him at number two for the Grizzlies. Figure out something for to get for Mike Conley. Um, and the yeah. Grizzlies have said today actually that 
they intend on taking John ja Morant at number two. So yeah, which I think that's a pretty interesting strategy. Like most teams don't normally do that. Yeah, you know? I mean, you typically, especially for this draft, you know, trading down is, would definitely be a great idea if you can find someone who's willing to overpay and trade up. And, you know, typically revealing your hand isn't the way to trade down. So, I mean, I think they're kind of just outright saying they're not planning on trading down. So, I mean, you would think, um, you know, like R.J. Barrett is, you know, obviously the higher-rated recruit, has all the clout. Um, and so you would think if someone's wanting to overdraft and pay up, it's going to be for R.J., right? So if the Grizzlies were to trade down for someone that – really wants RJ and doesn't want the Knicks to take him at three or something. They would, you know, they wouldn't really want to reveal their hand on that, you would think. But they they must really love Jaw, and that's their intention, so. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's a really good pick. Like, he's he is my number two prospect for sure, like, on my highly coveted big board. Um, but, yeah. Uh, let's move on to three, and it's your pick again, the New York Knicks. So at three, for the Knicks, it pains me to do this because I, I'm i not the biggest fan. I've talked to you about it. I've talked to one of my other friends, Mac, that's a Duke basketball fan. He And so I'm going with RJ to the Knicks. Um, I just think that's – he for all of RJ's flaws that I'm sure I will talk a lot about, he is – like if you were if you were to give all of these guys an NBA 2K rating, I I would think RJ would probably end up with a higher rating than Ja Morant. RJ's flaws come in like a team fit thing. It is harder to fit that guy into just any situation, and I don't necessarily think the Knicks are the best situation for it anyway. But you know, Ja. Ja fits into almost any situation. So, anyway, about RJ, there are obviously great things about RJ. I mean, his stats this year at Duke were just unreal. I mean, his across the board, you know, average 22 a game, seven and a half rebounds, four assists. I think combining that maybe with his blocks and steals also or something. I don't know, but. When you, there, there's essentially been no other college basketball player to put up just the raw stat totals that he did this year, which is incredible. And he showed when the game Zion was out, I mean, even the game Zion was in, he showed that he is that true alpha leader. I mean, he's 6'7 with great ball handling skills and great ability to pass. Um and so there, there are definitely a lot of things to love about RJ. So what, what all do you have to say about RJ to start off? Yeah, so, I mean, I agree with pretty much everything you've said. Um, he has legitimate point guard skills at with his 6'7 frame. And he's a guy that's going to be, I think, pretty switchable defensively. Um, I don't know if he's going to be like a, a lockdown, super great defender, but I think if you can put him in a scheme that he's able to just guard the man in front of him, he's going to be able to do a pretty good job of that. Um, I I have some concern. Like my biggest concern with him, like you talked about the the mentality, and 
like he has every ability to pass pretty well and he does sometimes but man at the end of games like he arguably lost them that game against Michigan State you know like yeah Zion didn't get to shoot like the last four minutes of the game because RJ was like in RJ takeover mode you know yeah and and I think their early season loss against Gonzaga was I mean same thing. very similar yeah yeah, I think yeah they lost like two games all year with Zion playing, uh, or a fully healthy team, and both of them like RJ kind of just chucked it up at the end and kind of right. lost him the game. Um, so that that's a pretty big concern on my part because I think the guy could be a legitimately great playmaker if he just would do it, you know, like he. And again, also similarly to Zion was not in a position to be super successful spacing wise. Like he was driving, like when he drove at the end of those games, the paint was ridiculously packed and he was trying to finish over like four guys. So um, that was tough on him, you know, just like it was Zion. However, like the fact that he wasn't a particularly good three point shooter really contributed to that. Right, That's the thing. I mean, when you get the number one recruit, he's a ball handling wing. I mean, incredible at everything he does or most things that he does but yeah the he's he's got to be able to shoot if he's going to be successful and if duke was going to be successful i mean if rj not even you know counting on jack white and alex o'connell and the other guys on duke to shoot if rj could have been a better more consistent three-point shooter i i mean i don't know that's the only reason obviously duke didn't win the title last year. It was three-point shooting. But, like, just if RJ could have been a shooter, I really feel like they run the table. Yeah, I I tend to agree. Maybe if, if Cam Reddish had been a little more consistent, too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that he's going to have to develop the ability to shoot off the dribble, um, even if it's just in the mid-range. Like, I know the mid-range has been kind of – devalued but like right now he's a guy that you know he'll take threes and miss you know 70 percent of them um and then he's just trying to get to the rim and kind of power through guys and i think that when you get to the nba level he's gonna have to have the ability to either he's gonna have to develop a really solid floater or he's gonna have to develop a really legit mid-range game to be as successful as he can be um and i agree that the Knicks are not ideal for him because he's in all likelihood going to have to play off the ball a lot. You know, if they get Kyrie and KD, like how much are you really going to want the ball in RJ Barrett's hands? Yeah. Um, And I think that that it could be good for him because it'll be the first time in his life that he won't be the guy and he'll be forced to kind of take a secondary role and maybe he excels in it. I tend to think he'll probably struggle for a little bit. Um, and that could wind up actually hurting his value if they want to trade him later. But in, I guess in an ideal situation, he goes and he like really figures out how to play as kind of a secondary guy and like maybe take and make off the catch threes um, off shots that Kyrie and KD are creating. Like that could wind up actually being a really good situation for him, but it's just not quite as likely. You know? Yeah. And, you know, in this day and age, one thing we all like most is to be right. And so I, I, I have been, especially because, you know, Duke fans are the worst to deal with. And my friend Mac, I 
have argued with him over RJ ad nauseum. And so I really want to be right about RJ not being that great in the NBA. I mean, it's it's a shitty thing to say. I get it. It's kind of a joke. But um, the the comparison I've I talked with you about for RJ was to me it's Andrew Wiggins and not necessarily like I said not play style wise you know they're they're not exactly one to one in the way you know RJ is a much better ball handler and initiator it's just like I see a lot of the you know refusal to defer type things you know Wiggins won't he tends to be the alpha over Cat who's a much better player RJ did the same thing with Zion, who was the player of the year. They're just like, I think RJ can put up, I mean, kind of like what he did do. I think he could put up great stats in the NBA. And in the wrong situation, I think he has to get in the perfect situation to make a difference. I certainly don't think he's like, he's definitely not the best player on a championship team caliber. And I think maybe he could be, the third best player on a championship team. And so that's why maybe if he goes to the Knicks with Kyrie and KD, I think that's the only situation where he, because those are established vets, you know, he like talked about, he didn't defer to Zion hardly at all last year. But if he has established vets like Kyrie and KD, maybe he learns to play off the ball more. He learns from them, you know, what to be looking for while driving through a lane instead of barreling his head down. He's his jumper mechanics. Some people think there's a lot to work with there. That's what people also said with Andrew Wiggins coming out of college though, and has not really come to fruition at all. But I think, you know, if he, if he really, if that, if that ends up being his situation to the Knicks with Kyrie and KD, I think he can learn a lot from them. He can focus on not having to be that primary initiator, can be a great secondary or even tertiary initiator. And like if he if KD demands that, you know, he get in the gym and just work on his jumper and play off the ball a lot, and then he can, you know, run the second unit or whatever. I think that could potentially be a situation where we see RJ become an impactful impactful player. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was just to... really looking forward to seeing him go to the Cavs and being oh, just yeah. absolute clusterfuck with Colin Sexton, but that would have been hilarious. We'll get to... the, like Colin Sexton is literally a six foot one version <laughs> yeah. of RJ Barrett. Like they're they're the same. But... Like except for he's kind of more of like a motherfucker. Like he is his attitude is a little different than RJ's, but they yeah. they play very similarly. Um, right, Maybe they'll go. trade him for Kevin Love. That would be great. Be fantastic. Um, all right. So let's go to number four and my beloved Los Angeles Lakers who, man, like I, for, you know, that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen at a draft lottery was just the meltdown whenever the Lakers got the, when it was obvious they moved into the top four, you know, cause obviously as kind like not really a Lakers fan, but I, you know, I like them. Uh, I was just like laughing at the idea of them having done literally everything wrong and then winding up with Zion because that would have just been the funniest thing ever. If, but, you, if you thought that was a great meltdown, you should have been watching the 
the Ringers live stream of Ryan Rosillo and Bill Simmons. I saw a video. That was incredible content. As soon as it popped up that, you know, the Lakers, their odds were, you know, for 14 and 13. And if it wasn't one of those, then they were going to be in the top four. So once they put up the graphic that the Lakers were in the top four, Bill Simmons was just flustered beyond belief, just rustling through his papers to say anything. Just you could tell the guy was getting eaten alive on the inside. It was incredible. That was incredible content. Like he said that it was all rigged and it was, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've got back and forth on who I think the Lakers should take. Um, and I've changed my pick since yesterday. And I just want to point out that this is not, this is who I think the Lakers should take. This is not who I think is the fourth best prospect. Um, and also RJ is not my number three prospect. Um, I actually like Darius Garland more than R.J. Barrett. Um, and I'm also not taking Darius Garland for the Lakers. I think Jared wow. Culver I think Jared Culver's the right pick for the Lakers because, yeah. um, you know, this is assuming they want to keep the pick. Um, I think that the Lakers have a pretty well-established core of young players that could be pretty special defensively. And I think Darius Garland kind of is completely counter to all of that because he's probably going to struggle defensively. And so I look at where their hole is. If you're just looking at their starting lineup, it's the two guard spot. Um, and I think Jared Culver is the perfect player for that position because he's a guy that has some pretty good ball skills. He can run a pick and roll. Um, he can shoot off the dribble a little bit. He's developing in that way. Um, so I think he's a guy that fits really well with Lonzo offensively and defensively. It's like a perfect fit next in between Lonzo and Brandon Ingram. Like, I don't think you could come up with a better fit defensively. Yeah. I mean, we being big 12 fans we watched plenty of Jarrett Culver this year I mean the dude's awesome he's very fun to watch just like his athleticism is incredible and also just insanely functional also um the the season-long debate of the Jarrett Culver height conspiracy was very fun he uh the NBA combine which is going on right now we are not getting a lot of the top prospects. Zion, RJ, uh, who else? Darius Garland left today. I guess he showed up and then left, presumably because he has a guarantee from somebody. Um, and Ja, none of them were there. or They all left. Uh, DeAndre Hunter wasn't there at all. So Culver was like the biggest name at the Combine. And he came in at 6'6 six, six and three quarters today. So... About just around six seven, um, so great yeah. size. Um, yeah, I wish he was a, a little shooter. longer. Right, yeah, it doesn't have the best length like uh, DeAndre Hunter does, but still good size, uh, great athleticism. He's a good, he's a shot creator. Um, he was their kind of primary initiator this year at Tech with uh, Zaire Smith and Keenan Evans gone, um, and did a great job. I mean, I think his improvement was probably the biggest reason that tech not all like they lost their two best players from a year ago and then went to the national championship as Texas tech. And obviously Chris Beard's awesome and got his big payday. But the biggest thing with that was Jared Kohler. Yeah. 
no, absolutely. I think that, you know, he just brings the best. Like, I mean, I thought about maybe a guy like DeAndre Hunter at this spot, but I think Culver brings the best combination of offensive and defensive upside. Like, you know, I think that Garland's going to be an issue defensively. Um, and I just, I like what Culver does in terms of what the context would be with the Lakers. You know, I think yeah. that, like, if it were the Knicks with this pick, I would probably say Garland or even, you know, somebody else. Or it's just, you know, maybe like the Hawks, I might say. No, I wouldn't say that for the, for the Hawks. But, um, you know. A general team, I think that you know I like Garland more in general, but mm-hmm. give me give me Jared Culver for the Lakers because it he just fits what they're doing, and you know I think if you're an NBA team, you've got you know to be a true contender, you've got to be like a top ten defensive and offensive team, but to be even okay, you've got to be top ten in one of those or like like top five in one of those to be uh, to make up for not being great on the other side. And I think the Lakers have the ability to be a pretty elite defensive team. Mm. Um, Now, granted that's going to be blown to hell when they have Jason Kidd coaching them by the all-star break. But (laughs) um, I think from a uh, player personnel standpoint, uh, Culver would do a lot for them. Yeah. And I think whether you can argue whether or not the, his three point shot will, come along. I mean, he, he was towards the end of the season and in the national championship. I mean, he's playing Virginia, but he was definitely putting up some bricks. Um, but even if the three point shot never, if he's never an elite shooter, he'll have, you can't deny the defensive versatility and athleticism. Um, and yeah, that would be a perfect fit for them to, for the Lakers to get some identity if they're keen on keeping this pick. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I and like just talking about a shot, like there's a lot of guys that have funky looking shots and the the mechanics are just always going to be something that they're having to fight against and I just don't see that with Culver. I think his shot looks pretty good. Yeah. It looks like a, I mean it's improved a lot. Like he's changed it quite a bit, but I think where he is now um going into the NBA, I think it's going to be a really easy for him to develop as a shooter. Yeah. Um, do we have anything else to say about Jared Culver? Moving on to the, the Cavs are up next, right? Yeah, the Cavs. The Cavs are up next for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Stick and chalk, and I am going with maybe my favorite player in the draft. I'm going with DeAndre Hunter. Um, it's between him and Culver for me, who's my favorite players. Hunter, Culver, and Brandon Clark, who we're not going to talk about today. But those are, those are probably my three favorite players. Um... But Hunter, I mean, he has incredible length, 7'2 wingspan, measures at 6'8. You saw him, I mean, on the highest spotlight, the brightest spotlight. He was shutting down Jarrett Culver in the national championship game. He was hitting clutch buckets. I mean, he, I know they, people like to give the Kawhi but not Kawhi comparison for DeAndre Hunter. But, like, I mean, why not? Like, why can't he be Kawhi? I mean, we no one thought Kawhi was going to be this coming out of San Diego State. Like, why? He's incredibly efficient at Virginia. He's great lockdown potential on defense, has incredible length, incredible basketball IQ, like, well-coached through college. I mean, what is there not to love about DeAndre Hunter? 
So I think that I I like DeAndre Hunter a lot, and I think defensively he's gonna just day one step into the league and be a really good one on one defender. Like he was basically the reason that Jarrett Culver had an awful offensive national championship game. Mm-hmm. Like he just kind of shut him down, and he did that pretty much all year to whoever. Because I know like OU played against him, and I was just like, whoever he is guarding, do not give them the ball. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's pointless to even give them the ball. Um, what I, you know, I don't think that you can look at a guy and think that he will, that anyone will ever improve as much as Kawhi Leonard has, you know, like to bank on someone getting that much better. Like Kawhi Leonard is so, so, so different than the player that he was coming into the league um, that I just, I don't think that that's an outcome that you can realistically look at. Like, I think there's like a 1% chance that Hunter would improve that drastically. For sure. Um, But I think there's probably a better than 50% chance that DeAndre Hunter becomes a reliable catch and shoot three point shooter and an elite defender. You know, like, I think that that's something. And if you're getting that with the fifth pick in this draft, you're really happy about it. Also, the Cavs were literally the worst defensive team in the league this year. They need somebody who can defend, you know, and like they're always going to be a little limited. Colin Sexton's probably always going to be a limited defender. And so you get, you need guys around him that can make up for that. And I think DeAndre Hunter is the perfect player for that. Yeah, I agree. I think he's the, he's a great plug and play guy. You can start him right away. It does maybe for the the Cavs calculus he is a little bit of an older prospect he you know was a redshirt sophomore i believe this is his third year in college so a bit older especially con- compared to you know RJ or the freshmen that are going to go around him in the draft but i mean the, he's he is too great in my opinion i don't think you i wouldn't personally especially for the Cavs i'm not passing him up for the next guys that we would have on the board or Darius Garland, Kobe White, maybe Cam Reddish would be considered there for them. But, right. Yeah. That, does don't the Cavs seem like a team that would lo- fall in love with Cam Reddish's upside though? And for sure. Take him, like for sure. I think I think Reddish is going to get taken higher than what we're going to take him here. Um, yeah. And like I I'm I have questions about yeah. Cam Reddish for sure, but um, yeah, no, I think that you draft DeAndre Hunter and you're just you know, 80% you're going to have a quality NBA role player, you know? And, like, I think his star potential is relatively low, um, but I that's fine. You know, if you're – you don't have the number one pick in the draft. You've got the number five pick in a relatively shallow draft talent-wise. So, yeah. I think that you, you take him and you feel really good about it. And, like, the reason why, like, I keep talking about – his star upside not really being there. And I mean, really the main reason is I just, I don't think he's ever going to be any kind of creator offensively. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, like he's never going to be a guy like Kawhi Leonard's not a great creator offensively, but he's an elite isolation scorer to kind of make up for it. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't see that for DeAndre Hunter. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to be posting guys up and just able to get a shot off against anybody, you know? Yeah. I think he's always going to be more reliant on other players around him to get him good shots. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like him a lot, but, yeah, I'm not quite as high on him as you are. Yeah, and part of it is I am this year I decided to become 
an unashamed Virginia Stan, and obviously it's easy to do that when they win the national championship. Um, I just I love Virginia. It's you know the way they play is can be horrible to watch in previous years, but the underrated thing about them this year was going just a little college basketball talk. Going off Ken Palm, they were uh, let's see. They, you know, they're they're known for that elite defense. They were actually fifth in defense this year and second in offense. So, like, they sure they slowed the game down. Their tempo was horrendously slow, but like they were just so efficient on offense. They got the shots they wanted, and they just took the shot whole shot clock to do it. And like I side so Ty Jerome and DeAndre Hunter, a couple of my favorite prospects this year. I just, I'd love. I loved watching Virginia this year. Their team was incredible, and they were by far the best team in the tournament. Maybe not by far, but they were they were definitely for me the best team in the tournament. And so I, because of all the hate after the the UMBC loss, um, I I stand for Virginia hard now. Yeah. And so that well, probably not- gives me some some DeAndre Hunter bias. I'll admit it. Right. Well, one last thing I want to say about Hunter is that kind of working against him in my eyes at least is that pretty much every year there's a guy in college basketball that kind of overperforms how good he actually is because he's playing the four in college basketball and that's probably the easiest position to exploit um, because you get a lot of dudes that are like traditional, like slow, just bulky power forwards that can't guard on the perimeter at all. And so you get guys like DeAndre Hunter. I remember Justice Winslow looked amazing offensively in college because he was going up against a lot of fours. And I, that's just not something that really will translate to the NBA because he's going to be going up against a lot of guys that are like him. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that if Hunter had had to go up against a lot of similarly sized and athletic guys, that he wouldn't have been as effective offensively. Um, so I think that that's just another thing that I kind of maybe not necessarily fairly hold against him, but I do hold it against him a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. Although in a, in the system at Virginia was great. Um, you know, Tony Bennett is a genius, and. You know, the the spacing was great. Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy both also shot. We know they're they're regarded as great, you know, knockdown three-point shooters. DeAndre Hunter shot 44% from three. So, I mean, I think that even with, you know, playing against guys similar size to him, I think he'll definitely be, at the bare minimum, an incredible 3 and D prospect. Right. Yeah, I think that's probably right, you know. Um, yeah, I just question his playmaking upside it's really yeah. all i've got for him uh so we're at number six now number six the phoenix suns phoenix suns and this is actually probably the easiest pick other than zion that i've made um the suns are gonna get darius garland and they're gonna yep. love it um i think darius garland i want you know i didn't really know a whole lot about him until recently like i knew that he played at Vanderbilt and I've kind of been listening to people talk about him and they're like, Oh yeah, this dude can shoot from like Trey young range and everything. But I just hadn't ever really done much research. So I watched some scouting videos. I watched some highlights of him and I'm a big fan of Darius Garland. I actually think he would probably be just in a vacuum. My third pick. Um, 
because he's got the ability to shoot off the dribble from really deep ranges. And as we've seen in, in the NBA, like that for a point guard is arguably the most important skill to have. Like even you can make up for a lot. Like if you aren't the best passer or creator in the world, if you're a guy that really like causes, you know, three or four guys on the defense to pay attention to you at a time, even when you're like three feet behind the line, that's, it makes up for every other deficiency you can have offensively. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the fit of Garland next to Devin Booker? Because that's not, not ideal defensively, you being the biggest Devin Booker hater of them all. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, if I'm the Suns, I'm taking Darius Garland, I'm trading Devin Booker, but since <laughs> I'm not the Suns and Easy they aren't going to do that... Since I'm not the Suns and they're not going to do that anyways, like, I think you just kind of lean into the fact that your backcourt's going to suck at defense. You know, yeah. like, both of those guys are guys capable of shooting off the dribble in the pick and roll from behind the arc. And I just say, screw it, we're going to score 140 points a game and we're just going to be really hard to guard because you're going to have those two guys and then you've got a guy in DeAndre Ayton who's a beast inside who also can stretch the floor. Like, in a couple of years, that could be one of the best offensive teams in the league. Like, I yeah. don't like Devin Booker that much, but I think, you know, I'm not going to tell you that he's not a good scorer. Like, he is, obviously. Um, and I think that him and Darius Garland, that's that's a nightmare. You need two good defenders in the backcourt to guard both of those guys. You know, you can't have – you're not going to survive if you've got, like – Trey Young and another bad defender, you know, like you're going to struggle to stop them if that's the case. Now, they will struggle like in the highest levels of basketball, like they're playing the Warriors. Like, yeah, they're going to get smoked. They're going to give up a ton of points. But I think there's going to be a couple games where those guys get hot and they're going to be able to score as much as anybody in the league, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely. And the way the league is trending, you know, maybe that's the way to go. How do you feel? DeAndre Hunter, you know, wasn't – not DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Ayton wasn't necessarily regarded as the best. You know, his biggest downside was, you know, his defensive prowess coming into uh, his rookie year. I think he showed in his rookie year that he'd be better – he was better than maybe people thought he would be. Do you think he continues to improve and can mask the the deficiencies that Booker and Garland present on defense, or do you think they just fully lean into scoring 130 points a game and he doesn't care? Uh, I mean, I think he's got to develop. Like you, you're going to put pressure on him to develop as a rim protector because he has every physical tool that you need to be a great rim protector and. He's going to have to do it. He's also a pretty mobile big guy, so he's going to be able to come out and be pretty aggressive on the perimeter if he needs to be. Um, so I, you know, he has all the physical tools, and you've got to develop. You can't just be the worst defensive team ever. Like, if you can just become, like, average to slightly below average, like, you're going to be able to win a few games because that is ridiculous offensive talent. And, you know, I think that, yeah, I think DeAndre Ayton can can do enough to really, yeah. um, you know, once these guys are like in their third, fourth year in the league, then you might have something. And like, yeah, you've got to have a, a guy that can guard a three and a four. Like you can't have crap defenders all the way down your lineup. But I think if you have 
three solid defenders and those two guys in your backcourt, you can make something work. Yeah. I I like it. Garland's, I mean, from what we've seen of him, he's awesome. Like we talked about earlier, it makes you nervous. You don't see a guy for a whole year, but I think he's he's worth it, especially at six. Yeah, like the value is fantastic. Like, And just his style as a player, like there's been a lot of guys in the league have a lot of success playing like he plays. You know, like he wants to play like Damian Lillard. He wants to play. He's not the passer that Trey Young is. Like, I think honestly, if I'm comparing him to any player, it's probably Dame. He's not quite the athlete, but like he's probably the similar caliber passer to Dame, like in that he's not elite at it, but his shooting makes up for a lot of it. Mm hmm. He's going to have to get better at finishing around the rim. Like, he's not a great finisher, but, you know, I see a natural offensive skill set and the touch that he has. Like, that's one thing I noticed a lot with his shots is that it's just a soft shot, you know? Like, the jumper is soft, and he is, I think he's going to get a lot of shooters' rolls because of it. And I think that that could translate to him finishing better once he develops a little bit. Yeah, for sure. All right, you want to move on to the Chicago Bulls? Yes. Man, so I really want to take Reddish here, but I think I'm just going to stick with the group thing that is, you know, NBA draft scouts. And I'm going to go with Kobe White to the Bulls just because the fit, the fit there is really good. Um, you know, he's, he showed this year, he's a pretty, pretty good shooter, can play off ball a little bit, I think. Um, and so he'd be, I think he'd be good with Chris Dunn, Zach Levine playing alongside them, running the backups, you know, behind them. Um, I just like Kobe White a lot this year. Nasir Little was the big recruit coming in, and I think Kobe White's emergence is probably the biggest reason that North Carolina just didn't fall off the face of the earth this year. Um, I thought he was awesome. I think he's a great leader. He can. He can score. He can make shots. He's a pretty decent passer. Definitely behind Garland and Jaw in passing, but I think you know he he does an all right job distributing the ball. He's a pretty good uh, initiator. What do you think about Kobe White? I I don't think I saw him in his good games. Uh, yeah. I, I I watched him a few times. I watched him obviously. I watched all the Duke Carolina games. Because, I mean, they were all pretty good games. Um, and he took a lot of shots off the dribble in those games, and he didn't make very many of them. Yeah. Um, and he had a tendency, like, he really liked the step-back mid-range shot, and mm -hmm. that kind of worries me because, I mean, you put, you're putting him on the Bulls. He's going to be playing, against, playing next to Zach Levine a whole lot. Which, I mean, I agree. I think this is the pick that they should make because they really need a point guard. Um, but it worries me the fit. Like, I like his positional size and the fact that, like, he, you know, he could use that as, you know, an advantage on defense. But, yeah, I I don't know. I Yeah, I, I think like... the, the decision-making is the biggest thing with him. So, I mean, he was, he was a 35% three-point shooter this year, 80% from the line. Has yeah. good mechanics, but I think the, like you said, the the bad the mid range pull ups, the contested three pull ups. I mean, definitely some bad bad shots. Uh, wasn't too great in the turnover department either. I mean, forces yeah. a lot. Um, 
So I think it, the decision making is the biggest thing. Which going to the Bulls, I don't know how much. What what? I don't know if you're getting any sort of direction there that makes you make better decisions. So, but I mean, if if he can get the decision making in check, I think he'd be a. I think he's an awesome, solid starting point guard for the next ten years. Yeah, I think he he has the potential. Like he he's got to clean up his shot selection. Honestly. Watching him play, like, you know, watching, especially that last Duke game that I watched him in the ACC tournament, I was like, he kind of reminded me of, like, the bad Russell Westbrook. Yeah. It's like he was just, he was, he wanted to take the shot that would win the game for his team, you know, Mm -hmm. and he just kind of, he completely just disregarded the process that North Carolina had offensively and he just kind of wanted to do it himself and that that worries me a little bit because I don't know I think of North Carolina and I'm North Roy Williams is a pretty rigid coach and I you know if he's willing to break uh, the system that Roy Williams has implemented I worry about that at the next level yeah so um, I don't know. Like I, I don't think it's a great fit. I also just I'm not in love with Zach Levine in general. Yeah. And so it takes a very specific kind of point guard to put next to him for it to not be a disaster defensively. And yeah, I don't see that being really a Kobe White strength. You know, like I, I don't know. I, I don't. I would trade Zach Levine if I'm the Bulls, honestly. Um, yeah. But you know, I don't think they're really going to have that choice. I will say. Um, speaking, we've done a few comparisons on here. Uh, Kobe White, I saw one of the worst comparisons I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I can't remember who did was it. it from it was NBA like, draft.net? It was not was. NBA draft.net. It was like a reputable guy. Like he might've even been like an athletic writer or something, uh-huh. but they were comparing him to D'Angelo Russell. And I just, okay. I think that's a horrible, horrible comparison. Yeah, I like, I don't think their games all. are similar at all. Like D'Angelo Russell is like a below average athlete that is super skilled and makes up for that in that way. Kobe White's like super fast and pretty athletic. And mm-hmm. I would not ever call him like at this point, a like super skilled point guard, you know, for sure. Um, I think really they might've just looked at, Oh, he's six, five and D'Angelo Russell's six, five. <laughs> huh? Okay. Sign him up. Yeah. So, also not yeah. great length for Kobe White. Um, the wingspan, see, is a below-average wingspan. He's a 6'4 wingspan. Oh, a minus Being 6'5", yeah. So not yeah. not ideal. Um, but I think he's he's a good player, and he showed – I think he showed a good amount um, at North Carolina last year. And at this point, you're kind of getting into the weeds of, you know, what do you – you have Cam Reddish probably still going to be around there. You have yeah. a lot a lot of mysteries at this point. Right. Yeah, it's you know, I the Bulls are not a great they're not in a great position, but I think this is the pick they need to make because yeah. honestly I think if you take Cam Reddish, they kinda already have Cam Reddish on their roster and Otto Porter, so right. I think that's kind of pointless. Um, so that brings us to the eighth pick, the Atlanta Hawks, the last pick we're gonna do. Um, and I am going to take Cam Reddish, and I think the Hawks would really love for him to fall to eight um, because the Hawks need big wings, um, and that is exactly what Cam Reddish is. Say what you want about him. He has pretty elite size for his position, 
Um, and I, I think that that's exactly what the Hawks would want. I think fitting him with uh, Trey and Kevin Herter is a really good fit. Yeah, I think if, if he makes it down to eight, we've talked about there's the potential. We could both definitely see the Cavs taking him. Maybe someone trades up. I mean, Shit, he, I could see I could see the Lakers taking him. Yeah. I mean, if, if LeBron falls in love with the guy, I mean, he got the heat to draft Shabazz Napier, so... He could definitely get get a Cam Reddish, at least someone with his pedigree drafted, if he yeah. thinks the the timeline would fit in with his. Which I mean, I I'm still a big fan of Reddish. I think yes. you know, I've I've talked my shit on RJ, and I think a lot of you know Reddish only shot 33 percent this year, and I just I think he's a way better shooter than that. Um, he was a 77 percent free throw shooter. Um, he was an incredible shooter before he got to Duke. I think the whole thing with, I mean, there were just absolutely no shooters on the court. Jack White was supposed to be a shooter and shot. I mean, he went historically like over for like 10 straight games. Um, Alex O'Connell. I mean, they, they just, the, we know the shooting at Duke was terrible. And I think that contributed to the spacing all around. Um, I don't think, you know, Cameron took a lot of threes. he he did not get a lot of good looks at them this year. And I think if he's playing, especially with the Hawks, I love the fit with Trey. Trey will get you the good looks. And having yeah. Herder, that'll space the floor. Collins is a great floor spacer. Um, mm-hmm. I think if you get Reddish in, I mean, not even the quote-unquote right system, just a good system, which I think most NBA teams are. I think I still think he'll be awesome. Um, I think you are hoping to get the the discount on him here at eight, you know, being as he had a disappointing year at Duke. But I think he would be awesome with the Hawks. Yeah. So initially when the Hawks got the eighth pick, it was like a huge bummer. Um, but I think if you look at it and if teams draft according to need, that one of Jarrett Culver, DeAndre Hunter, or Cam Reddish is going to be there for them at eight. And I think that that's probably as good an outcome as they could have hoped for at this spot. Um, and I think I've heard before that they actually really like Cam Reddish and they were looking at him even before they knew where they were picking. Like they really thought he would fit really well. Um, and it seems like the the Hawks are doing everything the right way in terms of player development and everything. So I think this is the perfect spot for him. Because um, Trey, like you said, is going to give him looks. And I think that Cam Reddish is going to be one of those guys that in you know the way they develop him is going to be really important. And I think that you want to start him as like this off-ball player primarily and just kind of take the decisions out of his hands and be like, Hey, you take this three when you're open, or you can attack closeouts. Like, kind of take the playmaking responsibility out of him. You know, like don't really let yeah. him do it all that much. Um, especially like when he's playing with the starters. Especially, um, maybe you give him a little bit of run of that. Obviously, in summer league, do what he wants to do. But like, you know, maybe as a second unit guy, he can run a little bit. You know, and develop in that way. But I think. First and foremost, you want him to develop as this 3 and D wing because he's got a seven-foot wingspan. He's got the physical tools to be an absolutely elite defender. And he's got a really, really smooth shooting stroke. The ball didn't really go in very often for him this year. 
Um, but I think in an NBA spacing with guys like Trey Young getting him looks, I think he's got a lot better chance to be successful shooting the ball. Yeah, I think I think he'll, he'll be, he's going to be great. Yeah. So I think the fit if you what, can get him at eight, that's awesome. Better better NBA career, Cam Reddish or RJ Barrett. Uh, the the depends how you define better career. I would say Cam is more likely to win a title, make a difference on a title team. Okay. Yeah, I think I agree. I think I agree with you. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird how you have to approach drafting because you, like, I think the possibility of Cam Reddish being a really good role player is pretty high, but you wouldn't take him at three in all likelihood because he just doesn't have like RJ Barrett. You said that it's unlikely that he's ever the best player on a, on a championship team, but Mm -hmm. it's also not impossible that that's the case. Right. Like there's a situation where he like really develops as a shooter and his feel for the game is much better than he showed at Duke because he has space to operate and he's like actually an elite scorer and playmaker, you know, like mm-hmm. that—that's not impossible. Yeah, and that's why I think going to the Knicks behind KD and Kyrie—that's if that's how it shakes out, that's probably the best situation for him. I think if he just straight up went to the Knicks in a dumpster fire with Kevin Knox and Dennis Smith, I think he—he he probably averages twenty-one points a game as a rookie, and just like. That's it. He never develops the jumper. He just keeps attacking and barreling down. But I think, I really do think that he has the chance to develop into something great if, you know, he shows the want to change his game. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely right. Like, it's going to just become about, like, does he have the, like, he needs to be in a situation that knows how to develop him. Like, so many guys, like, do we know, like, Kawhi Leonard's probably not Kawhi Leonard if he doesn't go to the Spurs. Right. You know? Like, there are so many guys over the years. I think Andrew Wiggins could be an all-star if he had gone to the right team. Like, I think Minnesota's been a pretty horrible position or a horrible place for him to play as far as developing good habits as a basketball player. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he needed to go to a team that was going to force him to play off-ball defense. Yeah. And I he think just the has same, not been in that spot. Yeah, the same with Tatum. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of Tatum. But I think Boston was the perfect situation for him. And, you know, not having Kyrie and Hayward a lot of his rookie year was a great situation for him. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously, yeah, that's part of what's hard about my arguing against RJ because a lot of it is based on I just think you have to put him in the perfect situation. And, like, yeah, no shit. You have to put any player in the perfect situation almost. Yeah. Yeah, some guys are just easier to put in. Like right. they can make more situations into their own yeah. perfect situation. Like yeah. I think no matter where you put Zion, he's gonna make the best out of it. You know, unless you're you got some stupid ass team playing him at the three or something stupid. But like he would make the best situation out of almost any place that he goes. You know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. No, I think that. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good breakdown of those eight guys um is there one guy we'll we'll get in we'll who knows how many prospects we'll get into but is there one guy maybe later down in the draft that you just absolutely love uh do you want to go on your like yeah i'll do i'll do mine yeah i'll do mine first and we you and i had both talked about him but me fiondu cabangale at florida state six nine two thirty five 
Um, Florida State, their M.O. for recruiting the past few years with Leonard Hamilton has essentially just been like get guys with NBA athleticism and size and then we'll make a decent run just off of that. And it's worked well for him. And Cabangele, like he playing against Gonzaga this year, he was awesome. I think he's going to be a great small ball center. Um, right now, Jonathan Gavoni has him at number 30 on his big board. And so that's just kind of the – I think you could get him. He's a guy at the end of fir- the first round that I think should – a lot of teams should definitely look at. I think he's just a great – he'll be a great backup small ball center that has some awesome athleticism. Yeah, so I have a couple guys um, that I like further down. Um, so I want to go with Matisse Thibel. Oh, yeah. Thibel, yeah. Talk about a dog, man. Yeah, and, like, I just like guys that have really good instincts on, even if it's, like, only on one side of the ball, you know? And Matisse Thibel probably, if not – if it's not Zion, he probably has the best defensive instincts in the country or in this draft. Um, he is limited, but like the guy was a six-five wing, and he left Washington as like their all-time leader in block shots and steals. Yeah, like that—that's something that really sticks out to me. Is like this guy just knows how to play basketball. You know, he knows how to get the most out of his physical talents, and for a guy like that. All he's really got to do to be a really valuable player is learn how to take a catch and shoot three. You know, like he's yeah. just got to become like an average shooter. And if he is able to do that, I think he's going to be a really good NBA player for a long time. He's never going to be a star or anything like that, but he's going to be a guy that plays in the NBA for a long time if he's just able to develop his shooting just a little bit. You yeah. know, I've seen a lot of a lot of discrediting his you know, what he did defensively because Washington ran that 2-3 zone. But, I mean, just mm-hmm. freaking look at the dude. He's awesome. Yeah, the dude. Like, he just, like, effort all the time. Like, he's I, – I really like him. I also really liked watching his dad in the NCAA tournament. I thought it was really funny. Yeah. Like, did you – do you remember that? I don't think I saw him. Oh, like, he was just, like, the most supportive person ever. Like, he was up anytime he did anything. Like, he was, like, jumping up and down with excitement. And that was I enjoyed seeing that. Um, one more guy that I like, and I'm kind of trying to decide between two because there's really two more that I like. Yeah. Um, I like Grant Williams quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, I, I like him too. Um, and I think, and Admiral Schofield. I'll just throw him in there. Let you talk about same, Grant a bit, but same. I like I like Admiral too. Um, with to me with Grant Williams, like if that dude shoots, he's gonna like be an NBA starter in my opinion. Yeah. Like, I think he's going to be able to play the four and he's going to be a small ball five for a long time in the league. Um, like the guy just, he's just smart. You know? Yeah. Like I think he, he gives me Al Horford vibes. Yeah. Like if the dude were six ten, like that dude's a top 10 pick easily. He's probably yeah. a top five pick, but he's like six, 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 seven instead. And he's not like an elite athlete, but, and that's why it's really going to be important for him to shoot the ball really well. Um, right. But I, I, I think his overall skill set, like, he's just another guy that he has a high enough skill level that I trust his ability to develop as a shooter. And he has developed some already. Um, and I he was just super productive in college. Um, 
So I don't know. I'm I'm pretty high on Grant Williams. Pretty much yeah. any time there's a guy that both Coles Wicker and Sam Vecini are high on, I'm, yeah. I'm probably going to like him too because those guys they look for different things in players. But in like if they agree on somebody, then I'm like, oh, he he satisfies satisfies both of their kind of expectations. You know? Yeah. Um, there's just so many guys we'll we'll hopefully get around to talking about as many of them as possible but you know in case we don't there's guys like Nikhil alexander walker we both like um yes, i like yes. lou dort a lot from arizona state um ty jerome i i know you're not you, you, the athleticism is a question obviously but i just think yeah. he has incredible intelligence and he's just an absolute knockdown shooter i love ty jerome yeah I, yeah, Dylan Windler, another guy that yeah. I like. So many, that's what I'm, um, you know, I think I've talked about before on this podcast that I'm a Sixers fan as well as the an OKC Thunder fan. And that's why I'm excited for this draft. The Sixers have so many second round picks. Shout out Sam Hinkie. But there are just a lot of guys that they could get that are perfect fits for them and could easily, you know, see some playing time next year for Philly. Yeah. It'll be fun, man. Agreed. Yeah, they've they've got a chance to really upgrade their roster with lower picks. Yeah. Which I always enjoy. I, I mean, the NBA draft is like maybe my favorite single sporting event of the year because I don't know, I just I get really into it and I, I watch all the way through. You know, like Same, I watch man. all the way to pick sixty and then even after that I'm interested in like, oh, this guy went undrafted, you know. Mm-hmm. Um now I this think... draft is a little it's not quite as deep. Last year's draft was like ridiculously deep. Yeah. Like there were guys that went in the fifties that I really liked. Um, and yeah, so I don't know how hot of a take this is. It could potentially be not a hot take, but I think there will be a second rounder on an all rookie team. All right. Okay. I hope that that is, I don't know how often that happens. So that could either be a hot take or a freezing cold take, but I think yeah, you'll have. I, there's just so many good guys. I hope that that is a, a second round pick that the Oklahoma City Thunder bought yeah. from somebody that 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 turns out to be. But that's the only way it's happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So the last thing I wanted to do on this podcast is we've given scouting reports for all of these players we've talked about, and so I think that. The one thing that I was thinking about doing is we give scouting reports for each other as far as our abilities on the basketball court goes. Um, so if, do you want to start by I giving like it. Yeah, I'll, 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 break, I'll break down your game first. Okay. So, Alex, what is your what are your what are your measurables? Um, you don't I'm have s- to say any measurables you don't want, but at least give me the height and average wingspan. I'm going to say, I honestly do not know my wingspan, so I'm Neither just going to assume I. it's the it's, same as my height. Normal. I'm I'm 5'6-ish, five, uh, five, you know, five, in six. shoes. In yeah. shoes? Okay. So, Alex, you know, not the tallest guy on the court. He'll, you know, that's not something he has to admit because it's just an objective fact. But Alex, while you may not think he looks imposing going up against him, Alex is just an insane knockdown shooter. Like, he has a clean stroke. If you see him just warming up before he's playing on the court by himself, Alex is, I mean, knocked down 100%. I mean, I've, I've probably seen him. There are times I've seen him make 
you know, just shooting by himself 20, 25 threes in a row. I mean, Alex has a good strip. The thing about Alex, which is hilarious knowing, and I, I tell Alex this on the basketball court a lot, it's hilarious knowing how much Alex hates DeMar DeRozan is that Alex loves to pull up from mid-range while playing basketball. It's incredible. It's, I mean, it's like uh, LeBron said the other day, the, who needs those analytics? If you're hitting mid-range shots, you're hitting them. And Alex, to his credit, he pulls up from the mid-range, but he hits them. Alex will he he's uh, doesn't have the most confidence so he in himself I think is what it looks like to me so he he'll pass down a lot of open threes if a guy's coming at him and pump fake and take a couple dribbles in and take the long two but Alex hits it so I give him the DeMar DeRozan comp often in that regard and then other than that when he is when Alex gets the confidence to pull up with a hand in his face or anything, man, I mean, if Alex is on fire, he's hitting. He is an absolute microwave scorer. He's, if he's driving in the lane, not the tallest guy in the world, but has a great floater. And so I got to give him a DeMar DeRozan slash Lou Williams comp. Is the doesn't, doesn't distribute the most, doesn't drive and kick. If he's driving, he's, he's hitting the floater. If he's, He's most of the time not driving. He's pulling up a lot, taking a couple yeah. of dribbles in and pulling up. But I like the DeMar DeRozan, Lou Williams comp for Alex here. Well, that's that's high praise. A little disappointed you didn't talk about my uh, below-average defense. Cause oh, it, I, I, <laughs> I actually meant to bring up your below-average defense. I was thinking earlier when I was going through. I didn't write it down, so I forget things a lot. Yeah, if you're looking for defensive effort, <laughs> not not the guy you want to draft. Um, yeah, I did a lot of. I'm not the biggest guy either. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm six. I'm six one in shoes. I'm looking at uh, NBA uh, combine stats, and it looks like the average shoe is an inch and a quarter. So I'm six okay. one in shoes. So not the biggest guy in the world, but I do a lot of cleaning up on defense for Alex. Yes, yeah. There's a lot. I. I... I hate to admit it, but yeah, there's just no other way to put it. I don't, I don't try on defense. I remember like there were a couple times playing pickup that I was like, okay, I'm going to try and actually play with effort defensively. Both times I, uh, sustained little injuries. Yeah, so you almost borderline concussions. Yeah. Two times he tried to play defense. I decided that that was just not something that I, I want to do. You know, yeah. I just, I'm not into it. It's hard. Blame you. It's hard to defend, man. It's hard to play defense. And like, yeah, I have to work really hard to get my shots off. Like it's not an easy thing with my height. So I have to, I have to conserve energy. And, and the thing about way. playing, the thing about playing defense in like, you know, a rec league or something like that. If you're, if you're locking guys down, a lot of people that go to your local gym are assholes. And so if you yeah. lock somebody down, then that's when you start getting the shoulders to the chest and the right. elbows to the jaw. And what's the point? And I, I do want to say that while I don't defend particularly well or hard, I like to think that I defend fairly because there are a lot of guys that you play against that will just immediately hand check the shit out of you oh, and make yeah. it hard to get places because they're literally putting their hands on you to prevent you from doing it. And I, I tend to keep my hands out of it. I try if I can't slide with a guy, then he's just gonna get by me, you know. Yeah. And so I, I think at the very least, 
while I don't try that hard, I at least am fair with how I defend. I'm not the, a big fowler. I'll say the one thing, the one uh, defensive skill that Alex has is the when the guy's driving from the top of the key, if Alex is defending on the wing, Alex has a pretty decent swipe in there. He can yeah. he can poke the ball free. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's my that's my tr- like that's my fake trying. Like I, I do it, and every now and then it works, and it looks like I tried on defense. So that's for, that's how for, it goes. To to one last thing to put Alex's defense in perspective. A lot of the times, we'll we'll slap him on the second worst offensive player on the other team because I yeah. have to play on the worst offensive player <laughs> in order to. Yeah be able to afford covering for him yeah yeah that's that's pretty pretty accurate okay uh so now time for for your scouting report you said right. you're six one in shoes six one in shoes five eleven and three quarters was my uh my shoeless uh physical when i was a senior in high school so maybe okay. i've grown a quarter inch since then i'm an even six foot wow okay all right well so sam is a lefty okay and that kind of you know there are not a lot of lefties that you see playing pickup basketball or really any kind of basketball lefties are kind of unusual uh, so that in itself makes it hard to defend him because you're thinking oh crap this dude's a lefty he's gonna go left so you start to shade to sam's left and then he hits you with the crossover and goes to his right so he is very comfortable dribbling with both hands which is a very rare skill so, a skill that I am not particularly great at. So very, I would say an ambidextrous dribbler, a very not ambidextrous shooter, but Appreciate ambidextrous it. dribbling the ball. Um, the thing with Sam that really sticks out is that he is probably most comfortable doing like the little things that help your team win. You know, like he's always looking to drive and kick to Tim B and then I just, pass up on the open three that he gets me. Um, he's a very willing passer. He's always crashing the board super hard. He'll swat. Like, he's a great cleanup defender, like he said earlier. Um, and that makes him, like, a just super valuable player. How Like, whenever it's really called for, he is capable of taking over and getting to the rim pretty much at will. There's not a lot of people at least the level of basketball we've played that are able to, <laughs> s- to stay in front of him consistently. Um, and if he were a little bit more ambidextrous finishing the ball, he'd probably be pretty ridiculous in terms of just getting to the rim and finishing all the time. Um, as far as a shooter, he's pretty good at shooting. Like I would say like prone to the kind of, He'll he'll miss kind of badly sometimes. Oh, for no, sure. No offense. Like I put he'll some make, balls up. Yeah, he'll make a couple and then he'll put one off like the side of the backboard or something, you know. And so it's not the most consistent shot, but he's certainly capable of making it. Like it's not like I don't see him shoot the ball and I'm like, well, crap, why is he doing that? You know, like he's it's not a horrible shooter by any means. Um, but yeah, really, I think the best skill is probably his playmaking for others. You know, is always looking to make the extra pass. And I think I'm trying to think of a uh, a player comparison. Um, and I'm just gonna go to like every lefty that I've ever seen because I can only compare lefties to lefties, obviously. So it works, man. Um, but 
he's not as bad a shooter. You know, obviously, if he were to get in a shooting contest with this guy, he would lose because NBA players. But I see a little bit of Ben Simmons in his game um, in that, like, he's perfectly willing to take, like, four shots and make three of them. You know, like, he's perfectly happy with that. Um, And then he's willing to, like, just set up others. And he can also do it from, like, multiple places on the court. If he gets a mismatch in the post, you can throw it down there. And he can get a good look down there. Or he can pass out of the post pretty effectively. I like that. It it feels nice to be appreciated doing the little things. I had my high school basketball coach for my first three years of high school. The last level of basketball he had played was junior high. Um, and so my guy, like if he saw you're scoring two points a game, he's like, what's this guy giving me? I was like, man, I am like, I'm not getting beat on defense. I'm sliding my feet. I'm doing, I'm setting solid screens. So it feels, feels nice to be appreciated. That was the other thing playing in small school, Oklahoma. I was, you know, being five eleven and three quarters, I was one of the bigger guys on my team. And knew how to throw my weight around. So that's why if I get a mismatch in playing in the rec league now, I I, I have the had to learn the post skills back in the day. So if you put a guy that's you know five eight, one sixty on me, we I, I remember one specific game, we you and I just kept going back to the bucket. It's like if they're not gonna switch this up, I'm just gonna post up on this right block right here hit the drop yep. step to the middle of the paint, it's over. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, like, last thing about Sam as a basketball player, he's perfectly willing to mix it up if uh, if he feels like somebody's being an asshole on the other side. <laughs> yeah. He will uh, – he might he might exchange some words and there might be some – a little bit of contact, you know. He's not, not afraid to commit the hard foul if, it, if it's completely necessary, so – you know, he just does. He does everything that you look for. Maybe, maybe a little Draymond Green. In See, that the thing sense. I feel, I feel like I'm kind of a Stephen Adams type of uh, instigator on the court. Like I'm not. I'm definitely like don't don't misconstrue it. I'm not. Uh, I'm not seeking out fights on the court. I'm not swinging my right. legs up like Draymond. But no, I'm not no, no, going to no. back down from anybody. Like if. If I feel the need to defend a teammate, if I feel the need to defend myself, like if someone, like I said, people that go and play at your rec center are assholes. And so if you got guys that are, you know, you got a breakaway layup and someone's going to try and chase down block you and like end up pushing you into the non-padded brick wall, like I'm, I'm going to say something for a teammate or I'll say something for myself. Yeah. And so there, there have been been a few scuffles here and there right right i'll I'll give him that yeah like i think draymond green-esque in the sense of like you do like he does all the little things he makes the passes he's willing to not shoot the ball i think that's probably a better comparison than ben simmons like i just couldn't i couldn't leave the left-handed thing because draymond will is perfectly willing to shoot and he'll make several and then he'll throw up a bad miss every now and then you know yeah i would say i would say that's that's accurate and he's also like arguably one of the best help defenders in the league you know which one of your main skills so yeah i think draymond green is my my best comparison for for sam davis as a player so we have 
Draymond Green and DeMar DeRozan. I think you can build a team around that. It's incredible how much we both hate the player we're comp to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, DeMar DeRozan, legitimately one of my least favorite players in the league. And, yeah, I, I, I don't know what it is about, like, wanting to pull up from the mid-range that I just can't help it, you know? I think it's the Kobe in you. I should have given it, you the Kobe comp. Yeah, it's like I, I was such a big Kobe fan for so long that yeah. I, I just, for now, it's like, oh, no, I don't want to take this open three. I want to pump fake, make the guy jump, and then dribble in a couple steps, you know? So, yeah, I don't know, man. Man, I haven't right. played basketball in so long. Dude, I, I probably haven't played since you've played. Like, it's yeah. it's it's really unfortunate. Yeah, we're all we're all saying this in the kind of the past tense. Because, yeah, we're yeah, all, we're, we're spread out. No, we're... Real adults now, not college students with time to kill, a free gym to go to. It's a big right. bummer. Right. Um, okay, so I think that's probably a good place. We wound up going super long, which obviously was always going to happen. <laughs> I was I was considering, like, we, we were going to start this like around 7.15. I was like, hey, I wonder if we could make it, like, 45 minutes, do a quick talk about each guy that we want to talk about and get to the I start get- of the Warriors game. We're just not capable of it. Like we really the are. more I do this, the more I like am really like I admire the ability of people to do like the daily like thirty minute podcast. Yeah. Know? Like, have you ever listened to like any of the Locked On podcasts? Huh. Like it's like a daily podcast following a team, and it's like pretty consistently, you know, thirty to forty five minutes, and that's actually a pretty impressive skill to be able to do that you know, in that period of time, like, I, cause pretty much every pod we've ever done has wound up just going forever, you know? Yeah. Oh, well, we don't have anything better to do. Yeah. Literally do not have anything better to do. So it, it works out. And I also like listening to long pods. I always listen back to our pods Yeah. Um, and I like listening to long ones because I don't have to change the pod. You know, if I'm true. sitting, you know, doing something for a long time, I want to be able to be on the same pod for a long time. So, um, cool. I think that's a good place to end it. Yeah. Um, thank you for listening to the NBA draft edition of the Oklahoma drill. We'll probably come back with you. I mean, there's like over a month until the actual NBA draft happens. So I think our plan is to maybe come back with one or two more, you know, talk about some more prospects that we like. Um, as we go, we'll also kind of have maybe one geared more towards what the Thunder should do in the draft, um, because you know we're both Thunder fans, so we want to s- talk about what they might consider doing. So look for those. We'll try to come up. I've been lit. I've been thinking about possibilities for for football podcasts. There's just not a lot going on. You know, I've been trying to think about what we could actually talk about if we were to do a football podcast, and it's tough sledding right now. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, um, at Alex P. Purdy, at Not That Sam Davis, uh, our boy Ryan Maxey, who again, moving back to Oklahoma, we're excited, at RW Maxey, um, leave us a review or whatever, if you want to, five stars, please, um, and that'll do it.